Hey guys, last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you're important to you, unlock reward, awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swags, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin, Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you're creating a free account, you unlock $10 just for trying it. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. Use the promo code BRB for an additional 10% off your order. Thanks, guys. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of uh, Blue River Bow Hunting. I have a, a pretty cool guest on with me this week. You may have uh, heard his voice a time or two, uh, Adam Miller from the Bow Hunting Chronicles podcast. How's it going, man? Pretty good, pretty good. Finally getting some good weather here in Michigan, so uh, excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like it's been pretty hit and miss. I'm just a little south of you, but you know, it seems like it'll be 70 one day, and then we get back to snow and rain, and it's not consistent by any means. Oh yeah, this weekend it was uh, snowing on Saturday and like almost seventy on Sunday. So it'd <laughs> right. drive you nuts. Well, for somebody that may have never heard you or your show before, maybe uh, introduce yourself a little bit. Yeah, my name's Adam Miller. I'm one of the hosts of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. I also host the Vitals Live and do uh, Q and A webinars, um, kind of like live podcasts. Uh, but you get to ask the questions uh, to the guest. Um, right in the moment um that's a lot of tactic talk and things of that nature but uh yeah our show is just uh coming at it from a regular guy perspective like we don't try to be anything that we're not we're definitely learning and we're taking it from uh, 100 like the listener perspective so trying to get the information that we would want so uh, somewhat very self-serving i suppose yeah, I totally get the, you know, the regular guy, guy aspect because that's a lot what I have going on here. You know, I like to have the regular guy on to talk about, you know, what he's got going. He, you know, nobody may have ever heard of him before, and he's killing giants every year. So I, I like to pick pick the, the brain of a lot of people. And uh, regular guy is definitely a, a regular on my show. <laughs> but uh, uh, how did you um, get started in, in the podcast? What, what made you start it? So we started – 2017 i believe and at that time you had you know joe rogan knock on you had a little bit of that's when joe rogan was pushing adam greentree cam haynes and of course working class bow hunter and there was a few other ones and there wasn't really anything that spoke to me and so like when we talk about the regular guy type hunter so we're out of michigan we're in western michigan about halfway up so we're mm -hmm. directly across from uh, Milwaukee and um, basically, you know, we're, we're listening to these guys that are saying like, Oh, we're going to pass one twenties, one forties. And you know, we're, we come from, I, I grew up hunting uh, a, a bait pile and shooting the first deer. <laughs> like I never shot. We never, there was never any inches. There was only points. It was an eight pointer, six pointer, all that. And, you know, that one's a big one. That, that one's a smaller one. But, hey, you know, and Michigan's kind of a, a get your buck type state. And it's it, everything is evolving with social media and 
the awareness, I guess. Mm-hmm. But at that time, like there wasn't anybody that was talking about going out and learning how to hunt or hunting public land and shooting, you know, like this bucket that I got behind me is like maybe 105 inch, 110 inch 10, or eight point. And, you know, that's what they're passing on TV. That's what these guys are talking about. You know, working class bow hunter, love those guys, but hunting big ag and hunting booners and 200 inch deer and all of that sort of stuff just really wasn't that relatable. Mm-hmm. So we kind of came at it from the perspective of we're going to track down these guys that are doing it consistently on public land that can, you know, are, are willing to help people out. And we've kind of taken it from there. Um, myself and uh, my wife's cousin do the show and he's an archery nerd, like to the point where he worked part-time at the bow shop in our area, but he builds our strings from scratch in the garage. He tunes all of our bows. He is that into that side of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, actually got a podcast coming out tomorrow that he talks about if he could give up fishing or hunting, he would probably give up or, or shooting his bow. He'd probably give up shooting his bow and go fishing. I think he likes the tinkering more than the, the, the hunting aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But he's also a very soft spoken guy, very analytical, like genius level guy. So we have a pretty good back and forth of, I want to try everything. I want to do everything. I want to, I want to get out there, but I also really love to hunt and bow hunt and be in the woods. And so for us, that's kind of like how we've approached it. Yeah. He's the, he's the, the saltwater guy, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I listened to the show with the full draw assassins. Um, I think last week I listened to it, kind of prepare myself and get to know kind of how you guys went through conversation to get to know you a little bit prior to, you know, actually speaking with you. And, uh, you know, it's always cool to, uh, to find another podcast. I, prior to, you know, reaching out for you, I hadn't uh, seen it, you know, sometimes things like that get past you. And when I started going down through there and seeing people you had on and the topics, I was like, oh, wow, I'm going to go back and kind of start from the beginning and listen to it kind of in chronological order. That's the way I like to do it. So I'm definitely got a lot of catching up to do. (laughs) Yeah, we're, we're coming up on 200 episodes here pretty soon. Um, And for any of your listeners or anybody who's just finding us that full draw assassins episode towards the end, it's a little off the rails and uh, it it references another (laughs) podcast. I don't know if you've went and checked that one out, but um, that is uh, definitely some stories in there. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Those guys, that was a pretty unique conversation. You know, you got the guy from PA and then the guy from Indiana never really met team up and then they got what they got going on now. And it's kind of a pretty cool story. Yeah. I mean, prior to um, going down and they went, they were on the uh, working class bow hunter show and they drove down, flew down, went uh, and did a live podcast in studio. They'd never met each other, Kyle and, and Derek there. <laughs> so. That's a pretty wild story. Um, what, you know, what drives you to continue your show and continue to evolve as a podcast? Well, there's a lot of different things we've, because of the way that we approach the show and we try to give back and give as much as we can to the listeners. I mean, through Patreon, through information, through going out and meeting people and trying to be as helpful as possible. I mean, you know, it's very, very, very cliche to say, 
like, oh, I'm so blessed, you know, when people say that. But, mm-hmm. I mean, looking around this studio that I have got here, there's thousands of dollars worth of archer equipment and things that we've got from guests or we've got from this and that. And you can only hunt in one place at one time. You know, I I can't use all this stuff. So, you know, we give back as much as we can. And that is kind of drawn people towards us. You know, you, you kind of get what you give with, with anything. So for, for us, you know, passing out the information, but then you build relationships and, and things like that. And so, now we've kind of got like a little community that, you know, I can pull them real, real quickly and say, Hey, who do you want to listen to? You know, what questions do you have for episodes for, for whatever, but I'm still learning as a hunter. I don't pretend to know anything. I mean, I, I go on here and I'm the, the world's worst bow hunter. I can tell you a lot about all of the different gear because I've tried just about everything, but on the other side of it, I, there's so much to learn and I've built relationships with the guests as well. So I, you know, I, I've got a list in my phone so long of people that I can a- call up and ask questions to. And it's very selfish for me to just use that for my, you know, right. to say, well, I, to help me get better. It, it doesn't really serve anybody else, right? Right. No, I definitely get it, man. It's pretty cool, especially the the relationships that, you know, come out of having a guest on and talking to them. And then, you know, they're sending you pictures from the trail, the the tree stand when you're up in it and you guys are, you know, bullshitting back and forth and kind of thing. And uh, uh, Hunt the Wild podcast, a, a guy na- I know named Adam Bowles, he started his podcast around the same time as me. We're both from Indiana and it's kind of cool that we – uh, became friends off of it and you know and we bounce a lot of ideas off one another or, or you know hey listen to the, i'll send him before i even put the show out there hey listen to this tell me what your your thoughts on it or this or that or you, does this thumbnail work for you or that sort of thing it's pretty cool that that relationship has evolved just from from starting a show yeah i've got a, a buddy down in florida walt he does the chasing tales podcast and i love to tell the story and I, you know kind of i think he hates it but when I was starting out, I called him up, I figured out who he was and I got his information and I asked him about starting a podcast and he flat out told me, don't do it. Um, (laughs) and I throw that in his face every time that I can, but he is that person for me that I, you know, we bounce ideas off of one another and just even in the podcasting space about like where we think it's going or what we think. And, And also like, just like any, I mean, for lack of a better term, you're running a business, you're trying to grow, you're trying to do all these things, like whether we think that has a negative connotation or not, you know, you're trying to advertise yourself, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, at the bare minimum. So where do we think is going to help us reach more people just to get your message out there to, to, to do whatever. And, um, yeah, he's that for me, but it's fun because he just told me flat out, don't do it. No, <laughs> now <laughs> well, we're buds. <laughs> well, the story is kind of cool of how I even really got into uh, podcasting in general. So I got a message from somebody uh, local here that they have, they had, they don't do it anymore, but they had a, uh, a predator hunting page, content, whatever, podcast and everything. And he asked me if I would help produce his show and he said, co-host. And I was like, oh, that's kind of inter- 
intriguing to me because I kind of like talking and I love talking hunting. I didn't really know a whole lot about the predator situation. Haven't really dove into that too much. So I went, helped out for for four or five weeks, put several shows together for him. And then uh, stuff happened and he couldn't couldn't get back doing it. He had some some family matter stuff. And I was like, I, I like doing this. Like, I like doing this a lot. So that's when I started putting all my stuff together, then started mine. But I was like on the producing end and then, you know, just, just just straight hosting, which is definitely two different worlds for sure. But it's definitely a lot of fun to do. Oh, yeah. I I try and help anybody out that's starting out because, I mean, today I was talking with someone who's done a lot of filming and editing and all of that, and they're starting up a podcast. And it's completely different and just getting it out there live. Like I tell everybody, yeah, you can do it on your phone if you want to. And, you know, the main thing for, for me is audio quality. I mean, as you know, I guess, I guess maybe I don't know. Maybe you do have some sort of crazy backers or something. No, and I, I don't have, I've, uh, <laughs> I've spent some money, but I haven't went that far. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I don't have any claim to fame, right? So nobody's going to Google my name and figure out who we were. So we started from the best audio quality that we could so that someone wouldn't just turn it off. Cause I've listened to famous people on crappy podcasts that sounds like they're recording in their bathtub (laughs) and I just turn it off or you can't hear it over your truck tires or the lawnmower or in the gym or whatever. And so you're not going to give them a chance. So for me, I said, well, I, I can ask questions and I can carry a conversation. I need to get people to stick around and listen to what I got to say. So audio quality was going to be first and then, then go from there. And that's kind of like our bread and butter. Yeah. Well, that was kind of like my, the next question I was going to ask you, I would say maybe what's your number one tip for somebody that wants to start um, a podcast or a hunting podcast? Well, I, for anything that you do is going to be to find your why. So if you're going to start bow hunting and you're going to start bow hunting and you're going to say, well, I'm only going to kill one fifties, well, then you need to stop and before you even start because you're wasting your time. Um, <laughs> Because that's going to take more time. So you need to figure out why you're doing it. I, I was trying to help some other Michigan guy start a, a podcast a couple of years back. And they're like, you know, we're not going to take out any sponsors except for like, maybe, maybe we would like Matthews or something like that, but we're going to try, you know, we're gonna... and I was like, I don't really think that you're going about this for the right reason. So right. my personal you know, would be to figure out why you're doing it and set a plan in place to say, this is how I'm going to reach that goal. And if that goal is to make money or if it's to get in, break into the hunting industry or, or whatever, all of those things are certainly possible, but set realistic goals from the beginning and then like stop looking at the numbers and do research on just starting a podcast and what, podcasting actually is so and what i mean by don't look at the numbers is that the the download numbers that you're going to get today the your number today your number for last month this month next month the only one that matters is the next episode so if you get one more download on the next episode then you're 
you're moving forward. And if you don't, then reassess and say, why did I not get, you know, what was this content better? Was there something, you know, was it the, okay, so, and what things didn't change? Did the audio quality not change? Was it a good guess with the bad conversation? All of those things, but just be constantly evolving and don't fret about this month or last month or whatever. Just look at the big picture, where you're going, and then try to improve just a little bit, just like anything else. You know, 1% better every day, you're, you're improving. Absolutely. You know, you know, I've talked to people uh, about it and, you know, bounce numbers between the conversation and, you know, they're like, you know, asking me the same questions. Well, are you going to reach out to some any corporations or anything like that to, to sponsor or, you know, do ad reads and that kind of stuff? And my answer is always, I'm just doing a podcast and having fun with it. If those things come, I'll address it when that gets here. And I kind of got a little thing going with the go wild. We have, you know, a little promo code and all that kind of thing, but that's not something I'm really necessarily looking for, especially at the moment. This is only, you know, 30 to 31 episodes into this, you know, it's not like you're not just going to jump into, into it and expect to get all those things right off the bat, or sometimes maybe even want those at all. I just want to have fun and create unique relationships with other hunters like myself. And I don't know, I continue to do what I do and I, and I love doing it. Well, I think also along with that, and maybe this is more important, but it's, it's kind of all encompassing is to be authentic. So definitely. So for me, like if you come listen to any of our shows, you'll hear, hear multiple times talking to, you know, some of the best hunters in the country, I will say, I don't know anything and I'm the world's worst bow hunter. <laughs> and that for the listener is very disarming but it's also like very like this guy's being real. He's not trying to, you know, he's not talking out of his ass saying he knows what he's doing. He's saying, I'm talking to you because I, I want this information. And it's likely that other people have those same questions too. Definitely. I had a uh, conversation with um, Dan Matthews who does the nomadic, uh, yeah. Nomadic outdoorsman or however you say that. And uh, we had a conversation about listening to all the different types of podcasts, you know, from maybe like the hunting public guys to, you know, Dan Infall to, you know, anybody and everybody. When you put all that information together and make it your own, that can be a, a deadly combination if you really listen and put together all the thoughts and processes that everybody does, even if it's unconventional, you know, you can really learn a lot. Certainly. And I, but I, what I think is, um, dangerous is if you listen to all of those podcasts and you start to believe that you know what you're doing without the bucks on the wall. Definitely. And there's a lot of people out there that can recite everything that those guys say, but they don't have the boots on the ground or the walls or any of that stuff to to kind of back it up they may have killed one or two good bucks and that's you know what they're they're um you know putting their whole platform on is that now i know what i'm doing and <laughs> right. you know the 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 guys that you talk to the guys that nobody knows about that are knocking them down left and right and have been for years can listen to those guys for two seconds and realize that they're not they're not being authentic. They really don't know what they're talking about. Where that's dangerous is for, 
guys that are just getting into hunting, younger guys that are trying to learn and they're saying, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, plant my flag in the ground for this podcast for this guy when he really doesn't know, you know, what he's, what he's talking about. Right. I, I completely agree. I I've, could definitely, uh, understand that comment you know maybe listen to a couple different shows or people that's been on those shows and kind of put that together and you could also you know retain that information but then when you go out in the woods and you put boots on the ground it's like you don't even put any of that information that you used into what you're doing you just still do it your own way (laughs) so every time i step in the woods now like i'm thinking what would jake bush be doing what would Dan Infall be doing what would Brandon Egan or Joe Miles or you know any of the guys that I've talked to because I'm really trying to learn and I'm trying to say you know what mistakes have I made in the past and how can I not do that and why are these guys doing this more successfully definitely and and a lot of it has to do with you know regions too you know you you know you may listen to somebody that's bow hunting or deer hunting in, in, in Kansas or Missouri or Texas or something like that. And whatever they say may have no implications on what me and you are doing hunting, you know, the, the Midwest, you know, it may not even be the same type of stuff going on, you know? I think that's true to a point. I've, I think as, as kind of a rule, there's, there's a lot of similarities in the more of these big buck hunters, big buck killers. I mean, there's a reason that these guys can go on their rutcation and, and kill four or five deer, you know, in a season without a problem. And you look at like, like you had mentioned the hunting public guys, you know, they're going all over to these different States and using different tactics, but you know, edge wind, those, those types, types of things, they're all, you know, deer, kind of do the same things it's just the little nuances and i think you know when people talk about the devil is in the details that's where these big buck killers are are really you know dialed in and and things that we take for granted we say we say oh that's not a big deal that's not a big deal these guys are like religiously every single detail when it comes to this point in the hunt yeah, they're yeah. definitely they know where to to dot those eyes and cross those T's. That's something that they're they're very particular on, and it and it shows with the success that they have for sure. Uh, let's 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 dive into some whitetails. Uh, let's talk first. Let's talk a little bit of uh, some Michigan whitetails up there where you're at. Tell me a little bit of uh, you know like the terrain that you're hunting and and the the hunting opportunities around you there in Michigan. So I didn't when I first started hunting, like my family has 240 acres of cedar swamp in the UP. It's a, it's a seven hour drive from here. So it, I can be in Ohio in six hours. I can be in Missouri in in seven. So once I started traveling out of state, it, it changed things dramatically. But so, I mean, up North there's, swamp and big woods down south where I haven't hunted much south of where I'm at now but that's where the big deer are being killed on the in the southeast of Michigan um, some some pretty good deer um, around us not too hilly a lot of river bottom swamp hunt a lot of swamp and um, hunted mainly one property 
last year that was a, a little bit of ag and I'm terrible at hunting ag. Um, I was more of a, it was like a season of observation sits, I guess, like <laughs> trying to figure out how to, I, I tried 150 different tactics and, you know, just, it, no, you know, that. I was learning. Uh, ag for sure is kind of what I grew up on. Uh, that's definitely probably my niche, you know, like where I'm at, it's flat for the most part. Uh, big, big ag fields with small plots of woods kind of all over the place. And that's something that I, you know, got good at, um, because I've done it for so long, you know, really here where we're at on these ags is the edge. You just got to be on certain edges, you know, know where your bedding is, know where, you know, there's a property that I hunt lots, only like 50 acres. And we actually kind of keep like a, a sanctuary. We never hunt it. Uh, we really don't even go in there that much. Uh, we might have a trail camera every once in a while. It's usually a, a, um, a cell cam. That way we don't have to go mess with it that often. And, and that shows, you know, there's definitely deer that know that we don't go in there. But uh, ag, I love hunting ag. I mean, I, I've been other places. I've hunted Ohio. I've hunted Wisconsin, uh, Kentucky. I've been all, all over, really. And uh, it always kind of comes back to the ag. You know, I'm like, man, if I was in a cornfield somewhere in Indiana, I could probably get it done. <laughs> yeah. So this, I mean, and even though I had that property, I grew up um, – so from the time I was, I could hunt for so 12 years old, cause I'm older before they had youth seasons or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, I was bow hunting, killed my first deer with a rifle at 14 when we could up there and bow hunted all around. My dad didn't really bow hunt too much. He, he bow hunted, but I think by the time I met my wife uh, when I was like 18 and her dad is like, grizzly adams like if you listen to our show and you have heard anything about uncle frank like uncle frank is her dad so and he killed everything that walked by they killed bucks big bucks little bucks whatever he never killed a really big you know nothing nothing big they were never big buck hunters they were just deer hunters and deer killers murderers (laughs) and so i think i was maybe 19 or 20 years old when i killed my first deer with a bow and that was public land. I think of all the deer that I've killed with my bow, uh, I think I've maybe killed four on private and all the rest of them have been public. And I think I've only killed two bucks on private and the rest of them have been public. That's awesome. So. I never really hunted public until maybe the last couple of years I didn't really have to. We had several private properties that we can hunt that um, my family's been hunting for on for, you know, 20 plus years. And, and I'm kind of the same way with the stuff that I grew up around and, and the chasing big bucks never really became a thing. I feel like until I even got at, got out of college, like when we were, when I was in high school and middle school and a younger hunter, you know, that wasn't a thing. We just went out and hunted. If you shot a big buck, that was awesome. You know, we really got pumped up for it. But it's not something that we're like, ah, I'm passing that up. You know, if I passed up a, you know, 110, 115, 120-inch deer, you know, my dad probably would have slapped me on the back of the head and be like, why didn't you shoot that? You know, we just weren't, that wasn't something that we were doing. 
And that's not something I still do. I just, it, for me and hunting in general is all about having fun for me and enjoying the outdoors. Yes, I love chasing big deer. It, who don't, you know, but I'm still just having fun with it, especially when it comes to the filming now. I'm mostly behind a camera compared to being behind my bow. And uh, I still just want to have fun, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, 100%. Like, I kick myself because I've, I passed, like, there's one deer in particular in Missouri who's probably, I don't know, maybe a hundred inch eight point. And that deer was there for 15 minutes, 20 minutes in front of me. And had I had my camera hooked up on the tree, I would have killed him. Um, or I guess because it's hunting, I would have shot at him. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, uh, but I passed him and I haven't killed enough bucks to, I mean, I haven't killed enough deer, you know, I still, there's still room on my wall. So I, I could have, I could have easily killed that deer. Um, and I didn't, and then I didn't get a chance at another buck. We've seen some other bucks and it just, just didn't work out. So I came home, you know, having passed on that. And I, that's one that, that gets me. I was in Idaho and I should have taken a shot. That was a different story. We were seven miles from the truck and it was the last day. Um, we were elk hunting and come up on this bedded down whitetail and i snuck into like uh, i think i snuck into like 32 yards and i was trying to get to 25 <laughs> and uh, he busted out of there and that would have been a cool story but i didn't want to like make a bad shot we were already so far away from the truck we were you know we were on day like nine of our hunt and then to have to trudge further into the wilderness to try to get this deer and all that stuff it was just that wasn't worth it to me, but that's another opportunity that I, you know, I kind of regret. But what I say is that, like, I haven't killed enough deer to, to do that. Now this year mm-hmm. in Wisconsin, there was like a, a 40 inch eight point that I passed on and that I chose <laughs> not to shoot. And that one was an easy pass. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> what, uh, you know, you talked about some of these States that you went to, you just mentioned Wisconsin. Tell me kind of where y'all been and uh, what's your favorite place that you've been. Well, so I, the first out of state hunt I went to was Ohio and, uh, they, th- that's when I started to see like the different, different types of deer, like classes of deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went down there and they were talking about one thirties, one forties, you know, one fifties. Um, the first deer I saw down there was probably like 115, 120 inch 10 point. And first of all, he moved through terrain that I thought no deer would ever like I thought I was bluffed out and these deer were going to be traveling along this. Well, on the other side of this like ravine, that buck just walked out and slid right down on it. He like basically slid down on his butt and got right to the bottom. And I was like, I didn't know a deer did that. And that was probably the biggest deer that I'd ever seen on the hoof. And that was the first deer that I saw in Ohio. And I was like, all right, I see why we're here. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so we hunted there for, three or four years i ended up killing a really nice buck like pretty cool story but ended up getting lucky found him and um that deer we green score we you know we're not official scorers or anything and it wasn't we didn't you know get the net score this is just you know we, we he was on the back of the tailgate we did some measurements he's 150 and five eights he's like wow. super as wide as my shoulders and mm-hmm. really long tines not a ton of mass but big deer um and then i hunted missouri just the one year 
and we saw some bucks there hunted idaho for elk and i had a i think i had every tag that idaho had i think i had a bear tag (laughs) and you know we went out there i was gonna shoot something i shot a grouse out there but we got into some elk and they just couldn't make it happen but that was our first go diy public land elk just middle of nowhere um hunted colorado for archery elk uh two years ago and uh just seen cows and spikes nothing that we could shoot saw some moose out there ton of mule deer that was cool hunted wisconsin last year and that was cool that was i did that was like a three-day hunt just drove over there saw bucks every day just you know couldn't make it happen yeah and um that uh, last and last year I hunted, I went on a rifle hunt with my dad. It was spike camp out in Colorado and I ended up shooting a three by five small bull the last day with a rifle. I hunted the first four days of the hunt with my bow. And uh, the last day I said, I'm going to walk over there and shoot one with a rifle. And I did. So (laughs) that's awesome. (laughs) Out of all those experiences that you had, what would you say is just something that was your favorite? Maybe, I don't know. What's your favorite on all of those places? Well, so it's hard to put them into different categories, right? So last year I went, so my dad, I think he's going to be like 70 this year, Mm -hmm. something like that. And so I went out and we did this spike camp. And so for anybody that doesn't know what a spike camp is, like we went to an outfitter, got on horses. They We rode out to this camp that they had set up. There was cots a cook stove a couple of chairs a chainsaw first aid kit and a radio they said you shoot something give us a call quarter it up hang it in the tree we'll go pick it up bring in your own food everything that there was some water jugs there that Um, sounds like a badass trip (laughs) yeah so uh, i mean it wasn't a bow hunting trip so you know for us being a bow hunting podcast you caught a little flack for it you know for just a little ribbing, whatever. But, you know, I got to hunt with my dad. Um, I, I, when we got out there, I didn't realize like how old my dad was or <laughs> how, like, you know, when I think about elk hunting, I think about bow hunting elk and covering ground and up and down and terrain. So you kind of train for it. You kind of get yourself, you know, as acclimated as you can in Michigan and, you know, do some hiking, do some, you know, making sure that your gears like, squared away all that sort of stuff and i realized at that point like my dad was he'll never be able to do that trip again so um that was really special and to shoot an elk that was cool um you know we ended up shooting three bulls and uh, my dad missed one another guy that was with us missed one so it was just getting the opportunity to quarter up three elk and see how big they are and that whole experience was was super cool um not you know not what i would if, if i could have draw draw up my dream elk hunter how it would have happened um would have been way different but spending the time with my dad and having that camp experience that i had like growing up i mean our our deer camp growing up used to be 10 12 guys in a i don't know 16 by 24 room and uh I think the first time that I was up there, there wasn't even power. We were cutting in power. So it had, it was run off a generator, kerosene lights, wood heat, 
I mean, even now we've got power and satellite TV and water. We still have an outhouse, you know. Um, but as far as like the bow hunting out of state, because of that elk trip last year when I went to uh, Wisconsin, I left. I took my daughter trick or treating, left here about ten thirty, and then just drove to Wisconsin. And I got into the with the guys that I was staying with over there at five in the morning. I'd never been on the land, never done anything, you know, just e scouted it, slept for a couple hours, got up, drove out, and I saw bucks every day. So that was very, you know, I don't know what you know, fulfilling i guess right. to be able to just pick spot on the map go out there you know having having more days i think i probably would have been able to kill something i mean it, everybody says that you know one more day <laughs> right. i would have killed something right <laughs> but um you know in that short little bit of time never you know just literally going off of e-scouting um and being able to see a couple good bucks and you know was on the deer fairly quickly um you know felt good like that was cool. Yeah. Killing a one fifty in Ohio's cool. I mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh Wisconsin, I was kinda gonna piggyback off your Wisconsin thing. That's probably my favorite that I've done, uh, as far as out of out of state hunts. I went up to Buffalo County, Wisconsin, uh twenty twenty, I think is when I went up there. Saw a ton of deer, saw a ton of deer every day. Uh my first day there I saw uh one fifty borderline one sixty chasing a doe. Like it, it was, it was an incredible experience and I don't know about you up in Michigan, but I'm not used to, um, bow hunting in 17 degrees. I definitely wasn't used to that. They had a cold front move in. I was actually bow hunting in snow. Uh, I don't normally get to do much of that either. I ended up killing uh, a decent buck, uh, up there in the snow. Um, last week, October, it was a really cool experience, but Wisconsin, uh, they definitely, definitely got the whitetail game going on for sure. Yeah, Michigan here, I mean, we hunt snow all the time, and it's always cold. I mean, I hunted the last day of the season, uh, well, yeah. So this year I hunted January 1st, the the last day for the regular season. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it was like 18 degrees with like 25-mile-an-hour winds. And I was hunting, this was ag, it was that ag property, and I was hunting, it was a stiff wind out of the northwest and i was on the ground on the edge of one of these fields on like this dike because that's where these deer were coming out and it was like the hail mary all or nothing so i was just sitting there crouched next to a a, a pine tree and i mean the, this year i was out and my quiver was frozen to my bow it was raining <laughs> and snowing i was I, there's a, a video i posted on our youtube that's got a bunch of bucks on it this was a few years back and i think it was like negative nine like i drew back on this little doe and i was shooting a thumb release and it was so cold like the release was like an ice cube just holding on to an ice cube <laughs> in my hand oh, it's crazy yeah. so it, it gets cold up here i'm a little more used to that <laughs> yeah everybody that i was kind of around up there in wisconsin they all had like those heater body suits and I was like, damn, I wish I'd have known about that. I would have got one of those before I came up here. <laughs> uh, but going back to kind of the out-of-state hunt thing, kind of explain how you go about, like, planning an out-of-state hunt and some of the things that you have to go through in order to do that. So, like, for example, this year I'm going back to Ohio. Um, and, you know, again, 
I get to pick the brains of all these guys that hunt these spots all the time. So I try and figure out, okay, what's a good County. So Ohio's very easy to, they have like their bucks of Ohio page or whatever. So Mm -hmm. you can see, you can go online and you can see the top counties for all the record book bucks. Now understand that those are the bucks that are, have been entered and those aren't the bucks that have been scored, but it'll give you some sort of an idea. Then you look at proximity to where you want to hunt, right? And then you kind of, you know, listen to what other people are saying, like where they're going and, and whatever. So, you know, you always have to be listening. Like I was listening that, that, uh, that Adam, uh, that you were mentioning, you were on a podcast with him. I was listening to, uh, earlier this week mm-hmm. and you mentioned like, like right to the campground that you stayed in, in Ohio. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you can't do that. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's why there were so many guys in that parking lot. Right. Right. But you have to be paying attention. So when you're saying like, when you listen to a lot of these guys, they'll never tell you like the WMA, like they don't, they don't want that information out there right. where they're killing these big bucks to like a point. But when you start to listen and you're paying attention okay, so you can just start to cross off areas where there's going to be big bucks and you can reference that. So there's, there's a, a place in Ohio that I hadn't hunted before, but, um, long ago, uh, one of my sister's boyfriends had mentioned going down there. They tried all the big places in, in Ohio, it ran into some, you know, people messing with their vehicles and tons of guys. And then they ended up at this one place and, uh, they said they got on bucks super easy so that's always stuck in the back of my mind so then i was talking to somebody that hunts ohio lives in ohio and i was kind of giving him a rundown of where i want to go and he's like oh you know when you start to talk about that place that's got some serious deer like now you're and it's you know maybe a little overlooked maybe not we but so anyways so you narrow down like where you want to go and and that's that's what i'm what that's what i was looking for Mm -hmm. and then so I've already, we went down there, hung some cameras, did a quick scout shed hunt, actually found, so this is, I don't know. It's a nice shed. Yeah. It's probably a three-year-old shed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a decent. I mean, I've got, this was a three-year-old Michigan buck here and it's like one class bigger um, than that. And so now this verified what's living in the area so now now we're trying to figure out okay go in and kind of say okay when do we want to hunt it and so since doing this podcast thing and talking to all these guys and learning more now i'm trying to avoid the pressure like i'm not really happy um ohio changed their uh hunting season this year and they moved it up so it's the weekend before michigan's open but I was hoping to get down there super early, try and catch something on like a summer pattern and avoid the pressure. But another thing about Ohio is, you know, I'm not limited to just that one area that I want to go. So it's about a six hour drive for us, but mm-hmm. I can be in Ohio in about three hours. Their season, our season ends January 1st. Theirs ended this year, uh, February 19th. I'll say it went in February. So, 
So now I've got more options, more time. It's not a terribly expensive tag. So that's what I'm looking at. Yeah, I definitely probably, uh, I mean, I, I tried to do my homework as best I could, and it was kind of like a last-minute thing when I went to Ohio. Um, I probably wouldn't have had went to Ohio if I didn't kill here the last week in, uh, last week in October. And it was kind of a put-together last-minute thing, but I definitely understand what you're saying. I maybe need to uh, put some of those uh, things together a little better and maybe do a little bit better research because I definitely probably went to the first place that a lot of people found that I thought I wanted to find a place where, you know, I could camp and it maybe would be free or, you know, not as expensive. I might, you know, do that a little different next time. Uh, I think I was good on the, on the area. I just didn't realize that there were going to be that many out of state guys all come in there all at once. Uh, it, it looked good. A lot of the places that we hunted there look like you could see something giant at any minute. And, and when we tried to get us back as far as we could on certain places, but, yeah, uh, yeah, that place I went, that was a that was a horror story for sure. <laughs> yeah, and so talking to these these guys that do this very consistently. Like when I went to um Wisconsin, right? I went there and I went and stayed with some guys. They had a piece of property locked down that they knew where they were hunting. It was public but it was like one of these little smaller overlook spots and they were keyed in on it. And I didn't just want to piggyback off of what they were doing. Another 45 minutes, there was this giant piece of property. So what these guys do, and when I say these guys, I'm talking like Jason Campbell from bed to dead, um, mm-hmm. Jake Bush, um, you know, you'll see the hunting public guys do it. Like they don't go there and just, all right, we're going to hunt. I put this place on the map. They go there and they want to verify where all the access points are. And they want to figure out where there's either something that's really hard to access or there's something that looks like you shouldn't be able to get in there and you can. So you, it looks like, you know, it looks like it's just a two track or it looks like it's, it looks like it's private, but it's actually on the map. And then they go and check out and see, is there tire tracks? Is there boot tracks? Has there been anybody there? So that's what I did when I was in Wisconsin is I didn't just go and say, okay, well, I'm just going to go hunt this morning. I went and drove around and looked for trucks. And the first place that I went, there was another truck from Michigan perched (laughs) right up at like what I was looking at. So I just went further down the road and I didn't, I knew that I didn't have very much time. So I only had five sits. So I just, picked my way through there and I didn't find the sign that I wanted. So I backed out, went to my truck, went down the road to the next place, walked in there. And it was a very small piece of, of public. And it had, it would only like serve one guy. Like there was no way that more than one guy could hunt this. And there were some tracks, some tire tracks, and there were some guy sign in there. So I just, you know, marked that spot went to the next one, went to the next one, went to the next one, circled all the way around, went to the other side of that, just parked off the side of the road and walked in and just got up where, where it looked good. And I wasn't up the tree 15 minutes and I had probably 130 inch buck chase a doe right past me, you know, just probably 80 yards away. But I was 
I was close, but I didn't, I didn't just find a place on the map and say, that's where I'm going to go. I went and said, okay, this, this is where I don't think there's going to be any guys. Now that sits interesting because I didn't take into consideration like the time that I was moving around because I had slept in and I had, um, done all that walking around. This was like noon, one o'clock when I was in there poking around. So I thought, well, first thing in the morning, I'm going to go looked at the map, saw what I thought would be happening and went a little bit further in. Well, now there's a hundred trucks there and I started doing the same thing, walking around and there was guys everywhere. So I did the same thing, just moved around, walked through the nastiest bog swamp, like where no guy has ever been, it seemed like, <laughs> and found all this good sign, but there wasn't really anywhere to set up. So I just kept moving, kept moving, kept moving until I found the hottest sign that I could find. I mean, I've followed the tracks, followed the trails, came out right on this edge. And that's what we were kind of talking about, how all these things, you know, so right there was kind of like four things came together. There was like a pine thicket. There was this ridge that came down. It was the edge of the super thick swamp. And then it was kind of grassy on the other side. So right there was a giant community scrape and there were scrapes everywhere. And I saw a rub on a, a tree that was, you know, probably about as big as my thigh and it w wasn't super high, but it was, you know, so now I'm, I'm in the right spot. And so I sat there that evening, didn't see anything, went back the next day, did all day sit. And I saw, uh, I think I saw 13, 14 deer and you know, it, it just didn't work out. That's where I saw that 40 inch eight point or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and, and uh, I had a guy walk in on me there cause I was right up by the road and I thought about getting down and moving or, or whatever, but this buck just chased the doe in there. I could hear him out in the thicket, you know, going around. I had another bigger buck come out of that thicket. And so it was like, I wasn't going to go and try and leave deer to find deer. I mean, I knew that there was a hot doe in there. It was just a matter of, you know, whether they made it out back, back to me. But I mean, that's these guys that are successful all the time. They're doing more than just picking a spot on the map. They're, they're covering ground, trying to figure out where guys aren't but where is that hot sign? And that's one of the, the most cliche, terrible things ever, other than your favorite piece of gear being boots <laughs> on <laughs> podcasts is like, just find the hot sign and boots uh, make the hunt. Um, <laughs> so, so, and I think that, that there's a bit of validation there too, being able to read what is, read the woods and see what's going on. And, and then when it, when it comes together, you know, yeah, definitely. And I definitely get what you're, what you're throwing down for sure. Cause you know, going over there and trying to put that together, it was difficult for me because I don't hunt a lot of public. I don't, I'm not used to that sort of thing. The The places that I'm hunting, I've done, I've done what you're talking about doing, but I can only do it in certain areas because that's where I have pr permission. So I I know what's happening in those spots. I know where to sit. I know where to be. I know when to be there. So when I went over there, it, it was definitely a, I was uh, a little leaker compared to what some people are probably got going on, you know, and uh, 
I definitely want to get into that. I want to do more of that because I had fun doing it. Yes, I had some terrible run-ins with some people. Uh, met some cool people, too, too, that we camped by and, you know, talking stories and hearing, you know, just kind of bullshit and deer camp kind of thing is always fun. Uh, but I definitely want to – and I think I'm going to try a different state next time I do it. But I definitely want to go somewhere else and, and, and try the public land thing and do what you're saying, you know. Go put some boots on the ground. Find where I need to be. Don't just pick a parking lot and start walking. You know, really e-scout it. Really put the, the, the time in maybe even prior to getting there, you know. Or maybe go check it out in the summertime and check out some terrain features and stuff like that. So I definitely understand what you're saying, man. Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, where we were at this year in Ohio, it was acres and acres and acres of briars. And, you know, guys say, if you're in the briars, you're in the good stuff. And that's where we found the the shed, you know. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) if you hadn't known that, and and we we encountered it the first time we went to Ohio. My father-in-law went out, and he was working his way back in the dark, I got back. We we took mountain bikes in, so we started That's at awesome. a gate, climbed these mountains, then mountain biked our way back, you know, because everything was gated. And um, I got back to the bikes, turned my, my light off, and all of a sudden he's yelling because he's hung up in these briars and he can't even move, and now he doesn't <laughs> even know which way to go. But if you were to tr- just try to go in there in the dark on day one and think like, okay, I e-scouted this or I looked at it. I know it's going to be steep, but it's not going to be that bad. I think I can access it from here. And then you get into 200 yards of chest high briars and God forbid you're trying to use a tree stand or a climber or, you know, something like that. I mean, you'd be, (laughs) it would just be miserable. Definitely. Speaking of stands, that was kind of my next, uh, next topic I wanted to cover. What exactly, I mean, for for instance, when you go and do a trip like you were talking to Wisconsin, what exactly are you doing? Are you doing climbing sticks and a, and a lock-on, or are you, are you using a climber? Uh, so now we're hunting out of saddles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have hunted out of – I mean, the first tree stand that I had was a – I was 12 years old. It was a $30 Menards. had the big chain, no climbing sticks, just climb up the branches, hang it on there sit and and hunt and then we went to the loggy bayou climbers and you heard that on the full draw assassins i got trapped in a tree in one of those (laughs) um i uh then went to uh lone wolf climber so um one so i'm a pharmacist and when we did our rotations so i had to go to different like rotations to go to different hospitals and things like Mm -hmm. that um so during my last year of school, I took the entire month of November off. So I had like October 15th to December off. And so I bought a lone wolf climber then. And I love that thing. Used that forever. Um, started the podcast and then started going to stand and stick. So started with XOP stuff. Um, mm-hmm. That's what we had used. And then right about that time is when Tethered came out and their marketing was like, super big um then trophy line came right back and so like when they went out they were they came on our podcast like right before black friday when they launched all of their stuff Mm -hmm. um and then so from that we've just kind of been like involved in the saddle hunting community and we've talked to 
just about every saddle hunting company out there. Latitude um, is local to us. We went, that's who we went to ATA with um, this year. But we've worked, I mean, at the Novi show right before COVID started, we we worked at the tethered booth and helped them. Um, we've I've tried just about every saddle like on the market. So that's uh, right. Definitely right. something I'm getting into this year. I got the sticks uh, already, but I haven't exactly bought the saddle yet. I don't know exactly which one I want to go with. Kind of a heavier set guy, so I want something that's going to be comfortable uh, for my junk in the trunk for sure. Uh, so I've kind of looked at the uh, uh, Predator XL or whatever that is for, for tethered. I've looked at a couple other ones, so I haven't pulled the trigger on that yet, but I, I now that you say that, you know, what's maybe some tips for somebody that hasn't done any saddle hunting? So there's a couple things. So what you need to look at is a, I mean, first of all, what do you already have? Okay. So if you already have a climbing sticks, then I wouldn't say, okay, well now, and what is your hunting style? So if you're used to lugging, a 25 pound climber into the woods, then maybe the tethered one sticks aren't all that necessary right now because a lighter set of sticks are going to cut down on that dramatically. Um, when we were doing hang and hunt with, and, and if you're hunting from um, climbing sticks anyways, you're going to have a, a lineman's belt or you should have a lineman's belt. Yes, sir. I made one out of climbing rope and I bought, uh, rope men just to do everything one-handed and so i already had that so i would take inventory of what you already have and say that's going to get me started and that's going to cut down on some of the cost and that's so cost weight bulk those are all questions that that people i guess that, that they're wide-eyed about right so that's what I would look at first. Then I would look at like, what's your, uh, hunting style. So for you, you want to get into public stuff, but most of your hunting, at least around home, sounds like it's, um, maybe on a bunch of presets or, yep. um, private stuff. So you could literally go to, you know, Menards or, you know, Dunham's or one of these big box stores when they have their clearance section on all of their, their sticks, they don't have to be mobile. You just set them out there and set them out there. And then, so maybe the most minimalist saddle isn't the biggest deal to you that, that walk in might only be a couple hundred yards. It's not going to be two miles. You're not going to be crawling underneath things to, to get into the stand. And that's a big deal if you're looking at so so trophy line. I, don't, I have their leather saddle over there, um, but so like the trophy line stuff is very. Uh, if you're talking about junk in the trunk, uh, trophy line stuff is really huge. Like it's more of like a. I used to call it like a hammock style saddle because you kind of sit in it. So it's kind of like sitting in a suspended chair of some sort where like uh, the Latitude Classic or a Mantis or um, like the Cruiser S 
is just like a single panel that's just kind of really form fitting mm-hmm. um the predator same way um around around like your butt but the the trophy line you sit in right so trophy lines are a little bit more inexpensive i think they're like 200 bucks they're um definitely i would go with their covert one uh, line so they have their original ones but they don't have all of the adjustment that the the covert does that their um their leather one it's like probably one of the more comfortable saddles that i've messed with it has like a smell of like a new baseball glove <laughs> so I, I asked sean about it he puts it in his uh ozone but currently uh, last year i ran for most of the year the latitude classic he said latitude's local to us so i work a lot with with alex and uh, kevin and jake the great guys um their first when they came out with their classic at the beginning it was like the best value in saddles. It was like 165 bucks and it was basically everything that you would want except for they kind of changed the game a little bit when they did the metal free with a uh Oplux rope belt. So they changed that and so then their classic went up to like 200 bucks and there's a lot of other saddles in that $200 range that's kind of competitive with everybody. So yeah, well, like uh, you said, a, um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. There. Oh, you're fine. Um, but, you know, like the the hunting, the presets in those in, in those on my private, you know, I already have. They already got sticks. Most of we use a lot of the muddy sticks. Obviously, those are a lot heavier compared to like, you know, Lone Wolf or API or something like that, or Tethered One or the Skeletors or any of that kind of thing. Um, but you could always have those already set. And if you wanted to move, then you just bring your other set in that you have. Um, definitely could could pay off. But in a lot of those places, you could already have your sticks up, and really you're going up and then putting your your platform in, and it'd be pretty quick. Which I think I want to do it for the mobility thing. Like we have this one property. Uh, it's an overgrown pasture. We've hunted it a million times. We kind of always hunt the same set, and it screws us, and we know that. But it's hard to get in in the middle of this pasture because we always bump stuff out. So we try not to get in there, but I don't know. It just, the mobility of it, I think we can really probably be successful. It could probably be very beneficial to us on a couple of these properties. And, uh, I'm pretty excited. I'm ready to get into it. Obviously I need to, to purchase something and practice and get all that down. I have a lineman's belt and I've done that, uh, for a while, you know, when we hang stands and stuff like that. But, I'm definitely very excited to get into the saddle game. I would say also like, don't worry about like the XL platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, like the predator or the, uh, yeah, the predator XL mm-hmm. or the mission is completely unnecessary. Too bad. Um, so I hunted when I first started saddle hunting from, I bought a set of B sticks and then the artisan outdoor platform, which is maybe like four inches by 12 inches that mm-hmm. just goes right on the top of the stick. And I hunted with that for two years because it's one less thing to set up. So once I get up there, I'm done. Um, then last year, the 
trophy line came out with a wingman. And uh, so I ran their sticks last year with the wingman and I used two cavalators and there was plenty of room on that. And I like, I still like not having to set anything additional up. Mm-hmm. The only thing about that is um, it sticks out further and you have to like move your ropes and things around it. So it's a little bit more cumbersome in the morning, like in the, in the afternoon, it's not a big deal, but in the dark, making sure that you have everything buttoned up so that you're not clanking or making any additional noises there. Um, it was a little bit cumbersome, but that, yeah. so I ran last year wingman trophy line steps with the Timber Ninja cable aiders, the classic, and then I was running uh, ropes from Silent Approach. It, Sean does Silent Approach. He does the the strap-on steps, um, super light. But his ropes are just super. They're about I don't know two thirds the price of any of the other ropes that are out there. Um, they're the same Sterling Oplux, and I ran a Kong Duck um, on my tether. And then, and even though it wasn't rated for it, I used the uh, Ropeman one on my lineman. Is are the Aiders a hundred percent necessary thing, or is that just something that you kind of get comfortable with and then put that in there? So the Aiders are not necessary; they're a convenience. So, like I was mentioning before, like where I was going when I was in Wisconsin, like through all that nasty stuff, like when I was in Ohio going through all the, that the bulk is one of the things that you're trying to cut down on. Mm-hmm. So I had first had the 24 inch B sticks and those were great. They're, they're uh, an awesome product. They're a little bit longer. So the reason that you don't have like the three step sticks or why saddle hunters don't want that is because now you're just as bulky as you would be with a, a climbing stand. Right. So 24 inches was good, except for, and I'm about six feet tall, six foot, 225. So in the wintertime when it's cold and you've got extra layers on, trying to make that step is a little bit, was a little bit too much for me. I mean, you could do it, but in, in the, one of the things is when you see these guys like uh, Greg Godfrey or a good friend of ours, Tim Clark, who he does like the tether teaching trains and stuff these guys are only like five foot two and they're little skinny guys and they're just like right. squirrels that just run up the tree. Right. <laughs> so that's not for, that isn't a good indicator for, for how everybody can do things. Um, so those trophy line sticks were they're 17 inches long. They're like the original lone wolf minis that length. And you know, you can't get very high just with four of those. So you can carry a whole bunch of sticks, or you can just add a little bit of weight with the cable aider and cable aiders are attached to the stick made of metal. Um, I tried a three-step aider this year. Um, I used it a few times and it just wasn't my style. Some people really like that, but Mm -hmm. not for me. Those cable aiders are perfect. I ran two of them instead of four and I could get about 16 feet, which was, was fine with me this year. Um, I've got a set of three of the 20 inch B sticks and I've got three cableators that I'm going to put on there. And then I think I'm going to run the wingman as my top stick. Um, 
anyway. So I'll, I'll still be, I'll actually probably get a little bit higher. I'll probably be able to get closer to 18 feet, maybe, maybe 19. Uh, and that's to the base of the platform, but anymore, I'm looking at hunting cover instead of like, just trying to get really high. I mean, mm-hmm. when I was in hill country in, in Missouri, you know, that was different because I want to get it literally as high as I could get, but I bring a, a single step mobile aider with me that I've made. So that's cool. Um, yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, what about like, uh, trail cams? What kind of trail cams are you running? Um, so for the last couple of years, we were working with, um, Tacticam. And so I have, uh, five, I think of their, uh, cell cams, um, in the different versions. And then I've got, uh, one of the spy point links on like a muddy camera. So I don't know what's right over there. Um, and I ran that, uh, this year and that worked okay. Um, squirrels chewed through the cables. So it's, it's just a matter of time before it fails. <laughs> what was um, the the picture quality on that link? It, um, not good. About like a regular spy point. Uh, I would say it was a little bit worse than that. Cause I, my father-in-law has a, a couple of the spy points. My dad's got some of the spy points from my brothers and those are a little bit better. I think than that, I mean, it's enough to see like what I needed to see, but they weren't <laughs> right. anything near like what the tactic cams are. And that's, I mean, I'm, we're not working with them this year, so it's not like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm plugging them. Um, but they, they do really well. And like I said, we've got that property in the UP where we net, I mean, understand this property in the UP that we have was all cedar swamp and we hunted it just for deer. So we never ran trail cameras. There's no food plots. There's no, uh, mineral, like we're starting to do some of that now, but we had no idea what was there. And then because it's so far away and as things change and hunting opportunities and kids and we get older and whatever, you know, there's not as many people at the deer camp up there. Well, now I've got three of those cameras with solar panels up there and I've actually got them to get service. And so I'm getting pictures up there. So now it's a little bit more exciting. So if we see something good up there, we can do a little bit of habitat management and do, do a little improvement. You know, it's, it's pretty exciting to, to have that. And I've had those three cameras out there since Thanksgiving and all the batteries are like 75% with the solar panel and it's been you know in the negatives up there uh, there's still snow up there that's awesome i i've i've checked out the the tactic camera reveals buddy of mine and i'm going to be filming a little bit this year uh he was showing me some of the pictures and looks like it has very good quality on on the the pictures that it sends which compared to the the spy points i have i think three of the spy points and the guy that I hunt with quite a bit, he has several of them too. So it's what I'm used to. Um, I think at first getting on those is probably just a, a, a money thing, you know, a, a price difference, you know, and I don't know what kind of prices, uh, for the tacticams are per month, but, uh, spy point is pretty reasonable. Yeah. Tacticam isn't that expensive. I want to say that it ends up being like $15 a month and then $5 a camera or something like that. Yeah, that's not terrible. Um, what about scent control? Are you a are you a big scent control guy or no? Zero. Love it. I love it. So 
when I grew up hunting, you know, my dad wasn't into that. My uncle wasn't into that. I don't know if it was the hunting industry or watching those shows on TV that turned me into the monster that I was. I was pretty hardcore into it. I had the, you know, the totes and the, you know, the Ozonics and spraying myself down and all that from meeting and talking to all the people that I talk to on here and people that I've met that I now hunt with. That is not me anymore. I'm totally kind of turned off by it. Um, I still will probably wash my clothes, obviously not on a regular basis, maybe just at the beginning of the year or something. I'm going to try not to worry about it so much because I I believe you guys, you know, if you're saying that it's not a thing and I, I see these people killing giants every year, you know, and they don't even worry about it whatsoever. I don't think I need to be either. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, um, so my mom went to high school with Greg Sesselman, who was the original creator of Scentlock. So Scentlock is still in Muskegon, Michigan. And so, like, when I was 12 years old, 13 years old, I had the original Scentlock green suit that went underneath. And I've had a bunch of other sound like clothes i may still have some um but so this buck right here i killed uh two years before that not not far from from that uh where i killed this one public land michigan it was uh was a mile and eighth from the truck we walked in there i carried some of my clothes i hung my tree stand got set up i was sweating i mean it was there was no way that any amount of scent control was going to be able to but i was wearing a wool sweater and a like a hat that i wore every single day it was just grubby and gross and uh the deer that i killed was a three and a half year old um he was 107 or 187 pound dressed 10 point and he didn't, I mean, the I had the wind in my favor and he didn't even pay, he paid zero attention. That's awesome. I love hearing that because it's definitely turned me, turning me into that person, you know. Obviously, I'm still going to play the wind and that sort of thing too, but, and have some, some of those things in mind, but I'm definitely not going to be the guy spraying down at the truck every day and stuff like that like I used to be. Uh, what about filming? Do you get into any filming? So we started filming a little bit. Like I've got, we've got so many cameras and camera arms and all this stuff, but it becomes such a, a very cumbersome project. Um, but this one here, I filmed that one. I filmed, um, I've killed two deer on, on camera. I was cameraman for my father-in-law. He missed twice we filmed a couple turkey hunts that i've completely botched and uh, we filmed a couple of uh um successful turkey hunts as well but like we have like crazy aspirations so like when we like my the 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 i missed a turkey last year with uh a longbow so i was using a longbow uh one of the magnus bullheads shooting for the head as jake came in at like seven steps i shot over top of them didn't even really come to full draw it was just it was you know sort of like excited in the moment but we had like probably five or seven cameras running 
<laughs> so it's like we're we're trying to do this ridiculous thing. So I've, I've got all this footage of me missing this turkey <laughs> I mean, from from <laughs> every awesome. angle you could imagine. Right. That's awesome. What's a what's Let's dive into those turkeys a little bit. I know I kind of heard you say on, on your on your show that turkey wasn't really your thing, but you were you you definitely like going. Uh, what um, is most of your experience on Michigan turkeys, or is that elsewhere? Oh yeah, just just Michigan. So we I never grew up turkey hunting at all. Um, my grandpa turkey hunted a little bit, but it wasn't like I don't think it was was anything compared to like what we see today in terms of the passion for, for turkey hunting. Now, my father-in-law, on the other hand, he used to call for Rod, Gen- Rod Benson game calls. And so he would travel around to all the shows and he would be demonstrating the calls. And I mean, he can call a turkey anywhere. So when I met my wife, and they found out that I hunted. They're like, oh, you're going to come hunt turkeys with us. And I'm like, never hunted turkeys in my life <laughs> ever. Here we go. And um, so that's when I started turkey hunting. And uh, I've killed a bunch of turkeys. And so turkey hunting with a gun isn't any fun. It's just, <laughs> I mean, it, it's it, there's a lot of turkeys here. My father-in-law is really good at calling I've called in turkeys for myself. I've called in turkeys for my dad, called in turkeys for my brother. It's tur- hunting turkeys with a gun here for us where we live and whatever skill set they have, they've passed on to me isn't, is like a, not a big deal. Now with a bow, I have, uh, I, I hit one. I, I, there's a video on uh, our YouTube where I shot one through the wing shot the decoy turkey runs <laughs> off with my arrow i've chased it down and it got ended up getting away and that that was another one that was at seven steps that same day or the next day i missed one um no blind public land uh hit a branch uh next year i don't think i loosed an arrow the next year oh no prior to that i missed a jake twice um with my bow um Last year, obviously, I missed that one. Um, the misses are great. And so, like, right now I've got this. I keep posting these pictures. These turkeys, it's, I feel like it's going to be shooting fish in a barrel, which it has supposed to have been the, like the last two years. But now um, it's going to be compound bow, body shot, biggest broadhead known to man. <laughs> and it, that's just what's going to happen. <laughs> have you ever thought about using, like, a – uh, a gobbler guillotine or something to to aim for that head. Well, that's what I missed with last year. Was oh, that's okay. a Magnus bullhead? It's big one out. And like I said, that was out of a longbow. <laughs> <laughs> that's just, awesome. Just, you know, and and so it's not like we're it is that we're not, not taking it seriously, but we had so much fun doing it, and it makes it like so much more of a challenge. All of our hunts, all those hunts that I've outlined for you, you know, would have been done immediately. With a, with a shotgun and there's no there's no two ways around it yeah i uh i was chasing some turkeys in missouri last year with my bow i did it the first two days i had a bird hang up at about 75 yards i know i still wouldn't have got it done uh with the gun at 75 yards but uh the last day i broke the gun out and i actually ended up missing with a gun you know missing with the bow is one thing missing with the gun 
is even worse. <laughs> yeah, I missed I missed one with a gun. I was calling it. Uh, this this turkey was hung up, and we could see him strutting. He was just hung up, and so I kept moving back, and I take my gun and move back, move back, move back. And uh, I end up having one come in silent from behind me, and I did like the John Wayne ninja roll and come up <laughs> from the hip, and I, that's the only one I've missed with the with the uh, with the shotgun. But when you talk about like it, he was hung up, we hunted. I was trying. I knew there was another one that I had missed on camera, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this one was pretty cool. Um, we had these turkeys come out maybe a hundred yards from us, and they just strutted around us on the edge of this ridge and it was in this ag field and they went up well they had crested the hill and it dipped down into the the timber well we were like below it on the hill and there was a a a rifle blind there so my co-host my wife's cousin crawled up on there and he was videoing and he's like i can see him he's just down there strutting he's like i think you can crawl up there and at least get an opportunity, you know? So I crawl, I run up there to the top of this hill and I crawled probably 70 yards and I got, I'm just laying on my belly and, uh, I'm ranging and I, the, the hen was inside of 20 and the gobbler was like 42 yards away, but she was getting too close. Like she was going to come up and like be right on top of me. And so there was really nothing I could do. So I ended up getting rolled over on my back and I drew my bow on my back and just popped up to one knee. And I had already set my, my slider to 42. Uh, and I put it right between his legs. He, he, he gave me the old Texas heart shot. And, uh, I just, he was out of range at that point, but there was, you know, it was that or nothing. So it was, it was very exciting. Anyway. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, what about calls? Is there certain, uh, brand or, uh, custom calls that you like using or anything like that? No. I mean, so for me, I can make sounds with the mouth call and I can call. Okay. And I can call, I, I say that, but I can call better than, you know, a lot of people that just put one in their mouth and, you know, try to make noise, but I'm also calling against my father-in-law who, you know, he can call it. He can make all the sounds, you know? Right. Um, but as far as like, he's real big on box calls and all that. And I just would prefer a slate and like, I don't think they don't make them anymore. And I've tried to find them. Um, I think the easiest ones to, to learn on and to use are the, they're like slate tech. Like I think it was like night and hail. They used to have like, there used to be a, uh, uh, old yeller, the, yeah. the yellow hammer. Uh, they were real cheap calls, but man, they're super easy to use. Uh, they make good sounds. You can have good control of them. Um, then they have like a, a couple of different strikers, like a, a rosewood striker and a crosscut striker that they make, um, that make really good sounds. But when my father-in-law, he, he sets out his stuff. It's like in the movies when you see somebody like tied to a chair and they're going to start torturing them. <laughs> like like Dexter he, stuff. <laughs> he lays it out and there's like 50 strikers and, you know, a bunch of different like, And, you know, he just, just hits them with everything that he's got and whatever gets them going. And that's what he, that's what he stays with. So, I mean, one of the bigger turkeys that I killed that I called in for myself I wasn't making terrible noises. I I was trying everything 
And then I just started going the other way on the call and it was a super high pitched like Yelp and they were gobbling. And then all of a sudden they just came in on a string and I had, it was like two Jake's and two long beards. I mean, they were there in an instant as soon as they heard that, like that, that was what got them going. So I, I, I see what he's talking about, but those ones, and I, I hate telling people that that's the one that I like because you just can't find them. And I, I haven't found anything that's even similar to it to be able to point them to. Because again, with me doing the podcast and building this community and, and talking to people, they're like, well, what do you recommend? And it's like, this is what I recommend, but I'll be damned if you can find one. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, man, uh, I definitely appreciate, you know, your time and coming on and talking. It was really cool to dive into kind of the public land thing and kind of go a little deeper on that than I, than I have before. Uh, I definitely appreciate you coming on, buddy. Oh yeah. Anytime. I mean, <laughs> I do this a lot. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I love talking to hunting and, um, by, by no means am I in, an expert on it, but um, it, it is also my passion as well. So, I mean, if you can do anything, it's learn from my mistakes. So that's, I preach that a lot. <laughs> well, uh, tell everybody where they can uh, find you in, in the show on social media. Yeah. So we're, Anywhere you can find uh, Bowhunter Chronicles podcast, we're on the any podcast platform, uh, basically uh, anywhere. We've got uh, YouTube, and we're doing some video podcasts also. Um, we do gear review videos, um, stuff like that. Um, trying to think of any other things. And then if you're interested in the Vitals Live, you can check out the Vitals Live. And that's where, like I said, we sit down with Andy May or Joe Miles or Greg Litzinger or and, and ask them the questions uh, and all of that information is archived too. So you can go back and search through and rewatch it. Um, that's where, that's where I'm at or bowhunterchroniclespodcast.com. That's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. You can also find us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, go wild about anywhere you can find a, a social media account. I've probably got one made for, for the show somewhere, but I appreciate everybody listening or watching on the YouTube and uh, everybody have a good day. Go check Adam's podcast out. Thanks. See you guys.